Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. Although we're often considered a cowboy church, we're actually a community of diverse people from many different backgrounds who have a common commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And now, here's a message from Sunday morning at MCC. God is so good. It's great to be in this fellowship of believers. It is great to be in the house of God and to know we're part of a fellowship that is spanning the world, uh, all over the world, and it's growing. God's church is growing all over the face of the earth. Wherever it is, the church is growing and expanding as it is right here in Millerville and all over the place, and we're so glad we're a part of this growing kingdom of God. It's been growing ever since that first Easter, and when the disciples discovered that Jesus had risen from the grave and he was not dead. And the word has been going forth ever since. And Christians are bold, and they are bold today. All over the world, people are even giving up their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ and proclaiming the truth of the gospel in the face of uh, false gods, uh, false truths that people propagate, and they are proclaiming that gospel even if it costs them everything. And there, is a, there was a study done years ago by an author. It's about the spread of, of the church in the first three centuries of Christianity. And the question posed is, how did the church grow so fast? It just went from a little cult of the Jewish sect in Jerusalem to take over the Roman Empire within three centuries. It had accomplished all this. And how did it did that? So they went back through history and they read the stories and they found out it was Christian missionaries like Paul and Timothy and many others after them for three centuries would go from town to town and they would go into a community and they would find out what idols that community worshipped. So they would find out that this particular village worshipped a tree in which they believed a God lived in. And one famous story, this tree was leaning this, and the people would pray at the tree and leave gifts at the tree. So they used the Old West model of John Wayne, high noon, there you had a shootout in the town square. And the Christian missionary would identify whatever the major God of that community was. And then they would take on that God. And he said, if my God is true, if Jesus Christ is really who he says it is, then you guys will all convert. But if your God is true, then your God is true and you'll prove it. So this one case, this missionary stood under the leading tree and he says, you cut down this tree. If it squashes me, then your God is the real God. But if I am not squashed, then Jesus Christ is real and powerful and you all receive him. That was a contest. So they said, okay. So they cut down the tree, and the tree started falling on the missionary, and then it stood up and twirled around and fell the other direction. Then the whole community converted. Now, you think that's a cute story, but that happened over and over and over again for three centuries throughout the Roman Empire. And bit by bit, missionaries led whole communities to Jesus Christ by challenging the gods of their age in the town square. Isn't that something? They did that with Viking berserkers and on and on and on. Today, I dare to do the same. I'm going to take on a God of our age, a God, an idol that we worship on a regular basis, and I'm going to dare it to a challenge. Are you ready? So here we go. We're going to take on a false God of our day. There is a great God of our age, and it is the God of knowledge, the God of of knowledge. You got that in your head? That's what I name them as. We worship at the feet of knowledge. We honor those who possess it. We honor those who have it and we give them power. And we really like people who know how to use knowledge. We spend billions to gain knowledge. And we place our hope in the deliverance of knowledge. To know something is to be an authority. I know this, so I'm an authority in my field of study. The information age we live in makes us hungry for knowledge that comes streaming to us through the internet from some mysterious cloud out there of knowledge that hovers above the high earth. I guess it's not literally that, but that we refer to it in those terms. Can we even think what our lives would look like 
if we did not value knowledge so highly? What if more information was not helpful, but actually harmful to us? This place we find ourselves in the grip of the, what we call now the information age feeds our obsessions. And uh, we just want to know more and more and more. And it's just our most recent trip of taking a bite of an apple that Eve wanted to know both good and evil and as well as Adam. I have an Apple computer at, in my uh, briefcase. I have an Apple phone on my hip. And there is a bite in the logo of the Apple computer. Have you ever noticed that? And it indicates that uh, biting into all knowledge users would get out of this computer was the intent of Apple computers to use that particular logo. This thus began the information age and the overwhelming belief that knowledge delivers us from everything. While we have grown in our knowledge, and we know how DNA works. We know we have mapped out the human genome. We have done all this. But in all of these efforts of growing the knowledge, we have lost along the way a sense of who we are as people, as an individual. Who am I? I need to go find myself. You ever hear anyone say that? So while we know more and more, we know ourselves less and less. And while we know more and more knowledge, we have lost meaning in our lives. Meaning is far more important than knowledge. The more we know about how things work, how we can manipulate things, the less we know ourselves and other people around us. Knowledge has robbed us of a relationship and meaning. We feel this emptiness as emptiness and we feel it as loneliness in our life. Today, I challenge the God of knowledge, I, and it's knowledge through information. With the power and authority of Jesus Christ, I'm going to take it down today. So here's my challenge. Meaning is far more important than knowledge, and we should not worship knowledge. There is no greater meaning than to love and be loved. Amen? And there's no greater love than the love of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. I will argue with the Word of God today that knowing that you are loved is better than knowledge, that knowing how things work is not as important as knowing the love of God. Knowing that you are loved by God through Jesus Christ is by faith is all that we really need to know, all that really matters in the end. Therefore, faith is also a way of knowing something. It is the best way of knowing anything in our life. So let's get into it. We're going to go to our studies that we've been picking up as Paul deals with this topic in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And some of you are flipping your Bibles to that, and that's really great. We're going to start at verse 1 and work our way down. Paul is addressing the uh, Corinthians. They are Greeks in Corinth. And they have a lot of uh, bizarre ideas he's trying to sort out. Now he deals with idols and sacrifices. Verse 1, now about food sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So this idol of knowledge that we have worshipped in Western countries, and we have called it knowledge, we're struggling with this idea of how it's competed with our belief and our faith in God. We don't even worship the God of wisdom as did the Greeks in Paul's day, but instead we think the best position we could put ourselves in is to know something. We want to do more than other people. We are impressed when people know a lot and we give those who, who know the most uh, knowledge positions of power, authority, and we give them honor. The idols that represent our God of knowledge can be found in your mobile devices, computers, and your search apps, and your Googling. 
We love knowledge, especially inside knowledge. You ever get the inside knowledge? With our international smartphones and internet, we can truly say along with the Greeks in Corinth, we all possess knowledge, don't we? We all know something. Knowing is the greatest uh, gift given to humanity by technology, we believe. This is the God that I dare challenge today. Some may think that a preacher challenging the God of knowledge is a bit backwards. Oh, here he goes. He's against knowledge. And he's going to argue about blind faith, and we just should go by blind faith and not seek knowledge and, and said some sort of simplistic understanding. Well, you'd be wrong in that. I've got a bachelor's degree. I've got a master's degree. I've worked on my doctorate. I've been in academic communities. I have knowledge. But for all that knowledge, it really doesn't matter as much. It's not that against knowing things. I'm against the dangers of knowing things. I really believe in the Garden of Eden that God had placed the tree of knowledge of good and evil and he placed another tree called the tree of life. And if Adam and Eve had chosen the tree of life first, which was the original image of Jesus Christ, that they could have handled the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But because they chose knowledge over Christ, everything went wrong. And it's the same thing for us today. We need to get things in order. Faith must lead knowledge, not knowledge. Lead faith because you'll kill your faith. Listen to my audacious challenge to the God of knowledge. Here's my first one. Knowledge only appears, only appears powerful and enriching, but in and of itself it is empty and hollow of meaning. Another way of putting it in the Canadian colloquial is this. So what? Right? So you know that. So what? What does that matter? Another way of putting it, that more what does it mean? What does all that knowledge mean? When we deal with a topic like this, we have to go to the wisest man that recorded in the Word of God ever in history that even whole... Uh, sex have been developed around, that's King Solomon. And he wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. If you go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, Solomon, the wisest man in the world, says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, behold, I have magnified and increased in wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind, I have observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I have set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realize that this also is striving after wind because in much wisdom is much grief and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Now, as we worship the God of knowledge, think about that for a minute. Solomon has been down that road, and we're still trying to figure out how he moved uh, large boulders to build the temple foundation. He knew how to do that and everything else. We still have yet to replicate it. He says, knowledge isn't everything it's cracked up to be. In the book of Ecclesiastes, in the story of, Walls, of uh, Solomon, it says that he sought wisdom. But I want you to understand that's really not the right word to use in the English language. What he sought was knowledge of how things work. And he spells it out in detail. He understood uh, plant and flora and the bees and how they worked. He knew how to build things. He, knew, he was a how-to guy. He was the original how-to guy. Do it yourself. He knew it how to do just about everything. God had given him incredible knowledge about how to get things done. People from all over the world came to Solomon for advice and information. How do I build this? How do I do this farming? How do I get better crops? They all came to Solomon for this 
this kind of information. It was knowledge that he had, and he said, even though I sought it all, it's all chasing after wind. It is without meaning in and of itself. Here's my second challenge to knowledge. Knowledge of information lies with the assumption and ignores relationships that matter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2 says, I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, I am nothing. What does it matter? Whether I know everything and have all knowledge if I have not love. Here's our third challenge. Knowledge is limited, fades with time, and becomes dated. Meaning, meaning is forever. Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon goes on in chapter 2 of verse 16, it says, There is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, inasmuch as the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise man and the fool alike die. Whatever we know now, one day will be outdated. How many of you know how to use a rotary phone? <laughs> Isn't that valuable information? <laughs> right? Who knows when the next time you're going to need that information? Are you like me where you sort of sort out in your brain? You say, I only, I've... I'm 61 now, creeping up on 62. I've got limited database up there. I'm, elimin I'm eliminating what I no longer need to know to, to try to hang on what I can barely hang on to. And I have a lot of useless knowledge. Do you have any useless knowledge in your head? Why fill it up with any more? Here's the great truth about knowledge. All knowledge eventually becomes useless. Right? It's got a expiration date to it. Meaning never expires, especially the big three, faith, hope, love, and love of God, for these will never pass away. The God of knowledge that so many worship today, when they worship this God of knowledge, they believe a lie. And the facts and the information is the only way to know something is the lie that they believe. So I stump people on this, and I hurt their brains with it. I don't want to hurt you too much, but think about this. Facts and truth are not the same thing. A liar quotes facts. Truth is something completely different other than information and facts. Truth is higher than facts. It always has been. Well, what do you mean? Well, I mean, truth are higher principles that lead us and guide us that either you believe in or you don't believe in. You believe in justice, you believe in peace, you believe in love and faith and hope. You believe in these things or you don't believe in these things. Facts are just facts. You acquire them by reason. You don't require, acquire them by belief. But facts expire because have you ever found out that in your life, some of your as old or a little older than me, that what used to be a fact a while back is now being questioned as whether it's a really a fact or not at all. And what we emphatically asserted at one moment is now, well, who would ever believe that? So things are, seems a little transient on the facts. The truth is that there is a way of knowing that isn't by reason. There is a way of knowing that is not just fact and information. And Paul says this, those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. So there's more than one way to know something. And it's not just by facts and reason. We don't have to be Vulcans from Star Trek. We can know in another way. So what is the truth? This is a question that Pilate asked Jesus Christ when he stood before him at his sentencing before his death on the cross. He says, what is truth? And Pilate didn't wait for an answer. But Jesus answered this already. He answered it back in John 14, 6 through 7. And Jesus said to him, I am the way, can you finish it? The truth 
and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you have known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. This is the knowing that Paul talks about when he says, you do not yet know as you ought to know. You know by relationship, and that relationship is based on a, a living, trust, faith relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if you have that, you have a relationship with Father God. And now you have seen, seen with our relational faith, God himself. And that's the only way you can see God. And to know God. It's not simply by facts. Uh, I want a show of hands. How many of you are currently married? Oh, wow, lots of you. Uh, do you remember your wedding day? <laughs> you remember? You do. Excellent. You remember your wedding day? Uh, somehow your spouse convinced you to say vows at a wedding ceremony in front of everybody else. And at some point they convinced you that that spouse loved you and you believed them. Now, was that based on some evidence or facts? Did you run them through a series of trials to see if they measured up? And how did you determine whether it was a real thing or not? Every one of you took it by faith that your spouse loved you. Sometimes our faith is correctly placed. Sometimes it is not. The only way you can know God is not by knowledge and reason, because as brilliant as you are, your brain is too small to comprehend God. But not your faith. Not your relationship. I, I don't like picking on Sandra because I always hear from people about this. And someone will come up to me after the service and say, stop picking on your wife. And you're <laughs> but uh, I love my wife and by faith I, I, I love her and, and, and my vows are still strong with her. But I got to tell you on my brain side, there are days I don't fully understand her. Have you ever had that experience? Yes. You've had that experience. But it doesn't change what I know. I know Sandra. I know who she is and what she stands for, what she believes in. We have a relationship. Now, I don't fully understand her, but I know her. Is that possible? Well, it'll get even more personal. There are days I don't fully understand myself. You ever had a day like that? What was I thinking? I know better than that. But my faith is in that I am a child of God, that God has even this weird guy in his hands, and that he understands me, and I'm okay, and I'll be all right. My faith is in what God is doing within me, Boy, he's done a lot, and he's got a lot more uh, ways to go in my life, too. There is a way of knowing that isn't about facts. It isn't about knowledge. It is a better way of knowing. It's knowing a person by meaning, by faith, by relationship. And this is where Jesus said, truth isn't just an idea. It isn't just a principle. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth, ultimate truth, is a person. It is the person of Jesus Christ. So I challenge the God of knowledge and information with this. Would you rather know more information and facts that mislead us in the past, or would you rather know the actual truth of something? Which is more important to you, the facts or the truth? The truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's pick it up at verse 4 and go to 6. So then about eating foods sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven 
or on earth, as indeed are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. I'm not done with my challenge um, this morning of the God of this age, the God of knowledge and information. I would pull him off his fake throne and expose him for who he really is and how he deceives. For the God of knowledge and information we have worshipped is nothing at all in this world. Nothing compared to the power of God. Recent Greek uh, converts from pagan religions in Paul's day still had trouble believing that idols um, were not real and powerful, even though they had converted to Jesus Christ. They had received Jesus Christ, they were born again, and by their own way of believing in false gods still influenced their lives. Uh, we're no different. You can be a Christian, born again, believe in God, but you still can be influenced by false gods. Many of us here today are in the same boat. You may, many of us are still influenced by old idols and these false gods. One of the most significant ones of these is the God of knowledge and information. You may not know that you're placing your hope in a false god rather than in Jesus Christ. What a Christian realizes is the pure futility of knowledge, information, and power. You can gain all of this and try to do good and end up making matters much, much worse than they were at the very beginning. The conclusion of the information age is that people are terrible and we must enforce more and more laws on people to make them do what is best for everyone. The information age is moving us towards secularization. And that it means that people don't know what the right thing to do is anymore. We've decided and we believe in our hearts, and the assumption is that people do bad things because they lack information. And all they need is more education. The more educated you are, the better you are, we believe, at the God of knowledge. But this is just insanity. What determines is whether we have a moral code, whether it's right or wrong according to eternal truths, that keeps us in governance of our own selves. The God of knowledge is moving towards us where the government decides and controls our behavior since we no longer can do it. And when we worship the God of knowledge, we lose our freedoms. There is another way we can worship, and that is in Jesus Christ, and we can walk in Jesus Christ. There is another way of knowing, and that is by faith in Jesus Christ. And those who worship the false god of knowledge have ridiculed this faith, knowing it as a bunch of mystic wishings. You ever hear that Christianity is just a myth? And the idea is that Christianity is based on myths, and uh, it's not based on facts at all. The Bible isn't factual. In reality, they could be, couldn't be more wrong than to argue that. Misleading and false in their accusations all the way, they have tried to convince people that Christianity is just a myth. I understand why many people believe that, because they're trapped into thinking that there is only one way of knowing, and that is by knowledge and information. But the more we know about history and archaeology and have studied the Word of God, the more we have found that the Bible is true. Years and years ago, when Bill Graham was starting out, there is a biography that came out a little while ago about the life of Bill Graham. He had been holding crusades, and he came to a critical moment in his ministry wherein the scholarship that was coming out was saying that the Bible is no longer reliable, that it's been criticized by scholars and looked at, and there are a lot of flaws found within the Scripture. And Billy was uh, faced with great difficulty. Do I keep on preaching this Bible if that is the case? And he really struggled with this until he finally came to the conclusion by faith that he would believe what the Bible said. And he went on. He said that his greatest success as a minister as a, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he said there was something that happened spiritually that only happened when he simply said, and the Bible says... 
And he told people what the Bible said, and that got through to hearts. There was power in saying what the Bible said. And he built his whole ministry on that simple sharing of the Word of God. I know what uh, Billy was going through. My father was a minister at the same time studying in seminary when Billy was hitting his pride. And all his fellow ministers in seminary, when they were studying the, to be preachers, were practicing and getting a North Carolina accent and holding the Bible like Billy Graham so they could get the same results. But the results wasn't in his uh, accent. It wasn't in how he held his Bible. It was in the Word of God itself. As years have gone by, I heard the same critique of the Bible as I went to school and worked to get my degrees and my knowledge. And I am pleased to tell you that most recent studies, have, when they started out with Bill Graham, they said that it is good to assume that the Bible is not accurate and that it is in error and then it needs to be corrected. But now, because of recent archaeology and everything on, there scholars, most scholars will tell you it is better to assume that the Bible is right rather than wrong because we keep getting confirmations that governors and proconsuls and other characters that aren't mentioned anywhere else in history up to that point have been proven to be in here, have been absolutely accurate. This Bible is one of the most accurate books from history you'll ever get. And I mean of all of them. And one of the great ways that I know this is true is because the Bible airs all the dirty little secrets of every great hero of faith. If you've ever gone back in history and read the, the memoirs uh, carved in stone of pharaohs or of other kings, uh, what you will find is propaganda. They were perfect. They never did anything wrong. They won every battle they ever fought. And that's what you get from history. No errors, no problems. Because the people who write the history are the kings. And they make sure nothing bad is told about them in their chronicles. But when you get to the Bible, have you noticed that every character, beginning with Adam and Eve, has got a whole lot of problems? Right? And the only one who's above it all is God himself who works with these imperfect human beings. And all of them wanted to make sure, don't forget to put in this how I messed up. That's how I know it's real. It is so real. And it is so true. It wasn't written from a point of view of ego. We live in an age where we are still struggling so many ways with knowledge and understanding what it is. And we have uh, forgotten the reliability of the Word of God and what it's about and how it can lead us to possess a knowledge that is far above the knowledge of this age. What slide am I at now? I've lost my place. Am I at seven? Eight. Let's go to verse 7. Not everyone possesses this knowledge, Paul goes on to say. Some people are still accustomed to idols, that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. The Greeks in Corinth were dealing with gods who wanted to be fed. There were gods, sometimes you will go to an oriental restaurant and there'll be a statue of a god and there'll be some fruit. Have you ever seen that in front of that god? That's what they're talking about. Uh, they're still doing it today in uh, some fancy restaurants you might go to. These gods were given this food it, and when they were given this food, they thought that food belonged to that God, it was tainted, it was diseased, it was affected by that idol. They eat, they eat food offered to an idol is to eat an idol's food and to share the idol's influence in your life. And we know better than that, but many of the new converts didn't know better than that. They thought that was still at play. You might think this is a silly 
uh, myth and what foolishness these primitives had when it comes to their ideas of idols and gods. And you may think that you're above superstitious thinking and thoughts, but you would be wrong. You are not above it, and neither am I. You too, and I, have such superstitious thinking about the gods of this age. And we, we, they're worshipped on every corner around us, in every building, and on every phone carried in every back pocket and every purse. Our conscience is weak as well because of the God of this age. Because too many of us do not possess the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives. And you will say, like I often, well, not me. I'm above it all. But are you sure you are? I have stood with many drinking coffee and eating snacks at the back of the church, or I've been at Tim Hortons doing the very same thing, and as we talk, the conversation often turns to this expression. Listen, did you hear? Did you know? Have you ever said those words? I have. And then what follows is the latest blurb from the internet. Did you hear? Did you know? Warnings that urged us to call to social action to fight against the latest problems engulfing the world in artificial panic of the day. Here we go. The coronavirus. I've heard many warnings, although you are more likely to catch the common flu and die of it from it than the new virus that's going around. It's already, uh, this virus is already mutating, changing, and unstable. And although the warning comes, we also hear those expressions, did you hear? In conversations this last week over coffee and so on, I've heard this. Did you hear that the virus was weaponized in a Chinese laboratory and got out accidentally? Did you hear that the virus was spread at a Chinese worship service during communion? Did you hear that the virus will collapse the world trade market and will never recover? I bet you wish you had invested in surgical masks two months ago <laughs> and hand sanitizers. And by the way, toilet paper. <laughs> Sandra and I went to Costco to buy toilet paper this week. We've been waiting for a while to do that. Couldn't find it. Asked the uh, clerk, he said, where's your toilet paper? And he said, we're sold out. We sold out every day. We get a fresh shipment every day, and it's gone. People are hoarding toilet paper in Calgary over the flu. I hate to tell you this, but the coronavirus does not affect that end of your body. <laughs> and on and on it goes. The God of this age pumps us with more information and knowledge, and that leads us to fearful and afraid places, and we forget what really matters. We still are infected by the false God of knowledge that is used as a weapon against us by evil itself to make you forget what it really matters in life. And that enemy is the father of all lies. So here's the truth. To, now that I've exposed the God of knowledge for who he really is, here's the truth. We will all die. We all face life-threatening illnesses all the time. You could be getting ready for worship this morning and fall in a hole and break something. It could happen in a moment, right? We had one of our musicians, John, he's okay. He didn't plan to do that, it just happened, right? It could happen to you. Something could happen to you on the way home after this service. This is the normal life. The lie that information and knowledge has tried to convince you of is this, is that Nothing bad should ever happen to you. And normal is that everything you always employed, you're always healthy, and your kids always respect you. <laughs> and that uh, your marriage is always sound 
and everyone thinks you know what you're talking about and respects you for it. That the information age wants you to believe that myth, but nothing could be more true. Normal is that things break down and need fixing. Isn't that the normal reality? I used to sell refrigerators before I preached here. <laughs> and this is where I ran into this myth, this lie of the enemy. Because people will come to me, I want to buy a refrigerator. Like, okay, I'll sell you a refrigerator. I want it to last 50 years like my last one. <laughs> this is not going to happen. Well, okay, how about 40? Not going to happen. How about 20? No, keep going down. So the average uh, lifespan of your refrigerator, stove, whatever you buy is five years. You'll be lucky if you last five without having to fix or repair it. Well, that's outrageous, they will say. Well, fine, you go buy it some other place, they'll tell you the same thing, or else they'll lie to you. Get the warranty, you're going to have to fix this thing. If you own it, if you're responsible for it, it's going to need fixing. If you're walking around in it, it's going to need fixing, right? Everything breaks down. If you leave a banana on your counter for three weeks, what happens? You taking your rotten banana back to the grocery store? I want a refund. I'm going to tell you, if you leave some sort of perishable food on your counter for a month and it doesn't rot, don't eat it. <laughs> Just don't eat it. It's not good. Because the normal thing is everything rots and disintegrates, right? That's the way it's supposed to happen. That is the normal way. But if things get better, if things improve, if we receive blessings in our life, that's a miracle every time because that should not happen. If people change and they become better, if we find love and it grows, if we find God and his power is with us, it is miraculous every moment of our day. There is no greater or purer love ever expressed in this world than the love of God. And it is far greater than a virus or anything else. The truth is this, even though we face all these things, the fact is that there is an exceptional grace of God. It is not normal. It is exceptional. And the only way you really access that is by knowing God by faith and a relationship with him, not the facts. It is a knowledge that goes beyond facts. We are encouraged to tear down the idol of knowledge and information. Instead, let us seek to know Jesus Christ and be known by him. Philippians 3, 7 to 8 says this, But whatever things were to my gain, for those things I have counted loss, Paul says, for the sake of Christ. More than that, I consider I count all things to be loss and the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And Paul was a scholar under the teaching the tutelage of Gamaliel, Paul knew and had degrees. He had great knowledge, spoke many languages, was very influential. But he considered all his knowledge to be nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ and to be known by him. Knowledge and information, the more you have, the more you can manipulate it into fear and pain and isolation. But if you seek to know Jesus Christ with all your might, with all your strength, then perfect love will drive out fear. And with a knowing faith, you will grow strong in the Lord. Faith must be the master of what we know and understand. Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote a song a long time ago. I don't know if you know this one. It's called, I Know Who Holds My Tomorrow. Have you ever heard that one? He says, I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine for its skies may turn gray. I don't worry o'er the future 
For I know what Jesus said, and today I'll walk beside him, for he knows what is ahead. We need to be very careful that we just don't act on information and facts, that we act on the basis of who we know who is much greater than the knowledge of this world. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 13 goes on at verse 9 to say, Be careful, however, that you exercise your, of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. And when you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. The warning Paul gives here, and specifically Corinthians, to those who have been through false idols and have been set free in Jesus Christ. If you today have made the decision not to worship at the idol of knowledge and information, then you too are set free from the control of that false god. The warning is for you as well in this passage, so as not to be a stumbling block to the weak. Today I have challenged the god of knowledge and information, and I've challenged him as a hollow, meaningless, false god. Instead, I'm encouraging each of you to put your faith in Jesus Christ and walk daily in his grace. You've been exhorted to know Jesus Christ and to know him by being born again and the new birth in your life and the Holy Spirit entering your spirit through the repentance of sins. This, what we're sharing with you, is not a stumbling block at all. It is what's going to move you forward into a boldness and the freedom of faith towards the will of God. We can be a stumbling block to those who are walking by faith but still wonder about how we deal with all this knowledge and information that comes at us every day. And this is a difficult question of the information age and can only really be answered by an age of faith. The founder of Facebook, do you know him? Expressed the problem in a policy that he has established about what should be allowed on Facebook and what is not. As a principal, Zuckerberg said during a speech in a Georgetown University, in a democracy, I believe people should decide what is credible, not tech companies. Sounds like a reasonable idea. This is true. But the problem is that we have a population and people around us with a weak conscience, not able to discern the truth from misleading information and knowledge. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ that is alive and growing in order to see beyond the facts and the information to see the faith purpose in all things. Instead of mocking the latest, craziest out there and the foolish thinking, we should rather exhort people to get their eyes off of these false idols and start walking in faith with Jesus Christ. I ran into this in a very real way. Several years ago, I was a a preacher down in Medford, Oregon, and after a service, I was in the back of the church greeting people. And I had a man in my church who had a prophetic gift. And his wife was my associate who had just uh, died of cancer. And he and I had prayed together many times. And he came up to me and he said, "Uh, John, uh, the Lord has showed me something about what is coming your way. And I said, it broke my heart. And I've wept over you. Do you want to know what's coming? And I said, "Uh, brother, no. I don't want to know. Whatever it is, we'll handle it like we've handled everything else. We'll trust in the Lord. Knowing isn't going to change that. It wasn't long after that we found out that Sandra had cancer. That I resigned that church and we moved up here. But knowing ahead of time and all that knowledge wouldn't reduce my fears or my anxiety didn't help me make rational decisions. 
but knowing that we were in the hands of God just as much before as we were after. Nothing had changed. We asserted this belief that God is never taken by surprise. You will often, when you get new information and knowledge, you say, oh my, I didn't know that. But when I walk by faith, I can always say, God always knew. He knew from the very beginning. He's never caught by surprise. And because he loves me, I know he has a plan in place. All we have to do is find it. And guess what? You're part of that plan. That's how I ended up here. I leave you with this final bit of wisdom from the Bible. And may the Holy Spirit anchor it into your heart as a discerning lens by which you surf your internet. Philippians chapter 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brethren, (laughs) you're chuckling. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Would you stand with me? I'd like to close in a prayer. Almighty God, we are so grateful that we don't have to be enslaved and intimidated by the God of knowledge that has dominated this world. That we can know and understand and be above the expiring knowledge of this world and to know the love of God, the trust of God, the faith of God, the peace of God in our hearts, that we can walk by faith. Lord, I pray that if anyone here is filled with fear and dread, that they would turn away from the false god they've been worshiping and turn their hearts to you, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to make you king and lord of their lives. That they would come to know the love of God within their own hearts and the presence of the Holy Spirit that will be our counselor and our guide and lead us carefully through a very confusing world. Thank you, Almighty God, that you have not left us tossed on the ocean to and fro by the waves, but that we can navigate it. We can rise above it, and we can find our way into the glory of God. We pray, Lord, that we too might be a sound and faithful voice in a confused, toilet-paper-buying world. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. God bless you. You'll find a warm, relaxed atmosphere at MCC. We love worship and music here. It is our desire to direct people to the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of all life, hope, and true transformation. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. Coffee and snacks are served. Children's church and child care are available.